Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some stuff we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we just make a triumphant return to watching trashy reality TV shows. Yes, we do. Although, in fairness, we are going back and forth. I think I'm subconsciously delaying the end of Supernatural because I don't want it to be over. And I, yes, I know it's been over for like a year, blah, blah, blah. But I'm, we finally got caught up and we're watching season 15, which is magnificent. And I don't want it to be over. So we're watching that. But we also started watching The Circle. It's so bad. It's so trashy. We're only on episode one. We might end up getting like, running away from it because we've we've got other important things to do like we've got movies we have to see and back patios we need to sweep and basically anything because everything is probably more important than watching reality tv i'm literally everything it's like uh uh-oh i need to go buy gasoline for our automobile that's a really weird thing you just said it was really weird and i realized how weird it was as i said it (laughs) i'm not even sure why you said it like out of all the things in the world because getting gasoline for your automobile is pretty important have you not been putting gas in the car i've been I've been singing it songs. Austin, we share a vehicle. I've been singing it happy songs. And I am paying for that vehicle. It is mine. You have to put gas in it. Happy songs about rainbows. You also have to do things like if a check engine light comes on, do something about it. I did. The engine was still there. Okay, I'm taking away your driving privileges. From now on, you have to walk to work, and I don't care that it's like 10 miles. Okay. Because it's my car. Fine. Can I at least ride my bike to work? You can. I don't think it'll last. It'll make it. It'll make it. It'll make it there. Then I can plug it in when I get to work. Then why aren't you doing that already? Because it's going to take like an hour each way, and I do (laughs) not want to do that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, summer has hit here. Uh... God, it wasn't that long ago where like we couldn't go outside because it was too cold, and now I can't go outside until after nine, almost ten at night because it's too hot. And we didn't think about that when deciding to move the podcast studio into our completely unventilated closet, which it turns out is supposed to have a vent. The roof guy found it, and it is covered up by a wall that used to have a giant photo of Austin's uncle on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this house is weird. That is a nice way of putting it, Yes. Yeah, so this, like, yeah, everything's awful, and it's just bad. But, you know, I mean, we've got a really mobile setup. We could move this anywhere. We could record outside, on the train tracks, next to our house. Oh, I thought you were talking about our house. I'm like, Austin, we don't live in a mobile home. Are you, what, what are you even talking about? We don't, this is not Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Our car is not our home. Our car, <laughs> our home is not on wheels. Wait, wait, are you saying that the uh, best picture for some god-awful re- reason uh, movie Nomadland isn't based on our house? It is not based on our house, no. And also, in fairness, you have not seen Nomadland. I have not. But we haven't seen any movies this last year. Uh, That's not true. We saw In the Heights. Which was from this year. Oh, shit. Yeah, we saw no movies in 2020. No, we. I mean, I think we saw saw movies in 2020. We just didn't see any that were up for 2020 Oscars. No. Austin really hates the fact that my life goal is to live in a van. Not an RV. I don't want to be an RV person. I want to be a van person because van people, we can just take off into the night. We don't have to deal with the whole RV situation. We just get into our van and we go. No one will find us. But I like stuff too much. You don't have to come. I've never once said you were invited. So, so you're saying I'm just not. I'm just not necessary. You don't need me. I mean, are you are you food, water, or shelter? Potentially, I'm all three. Yes. <laughs> Wait, are, are you? 
I don't see a situation in which you could be water. I guess I could see some extreme situations in which you could be sh- f- food and shelter. If yeah, I smell even worse on the inside. <laughs> like if, what is it, like those tauntauns or something? Yeah. Like I yeah. rip you open and I Woo-hoo! live inside you after eating your meat. But I don't see a situation in which you are water. So no. Could, um, In the hit movie Dune starring Timothy Chalamet. Uh, they would reclaim water from dead bodies. <laughs> that Timothy Chalamet-looking motherfucker. <laughs> so, we should probably get started. We've been, like, on an extra long tangent this time. I don't think it's... This is nowhere near as long as it usually that's true. is. Don't even. But we also... We're both also, like, very verbose this week, so we should probably, like, yeah, that's true. dive and in. I believe you go first this I week. I do go first. So, this week, just because I'm diving straight in, I'm going to talk about Mercury. But not the planet, and not the messenger god. No, no. The kind that I like to drink. The kind that, yeah, that metal that's a liquid at room temperature and also made Hatters crazy, famously. And turns people blue. And turns people blue. And, you know, Mercury, it's a thing we all kind of know about. We like, you know, oh, you don't want Mercury. Mercury's bad. But we don't know much about Mercury. Speak for yourself. So I'm going to talk about it because, like, we just kind of know, oh, yeah, it's bad. But we don't know, like, all of the whys and stuff. Turns you blue. Turns you blue. Makes you crazy. And a lot of other stuff that's even worse. Oh, did this become because I said that Frosty the Snowman was just a creepy creepy hatter? And yeah. all the other kid, all the kids like worked in and near his hat shop. And that's why they thought he was a living snowman and is therefore more frightening than Olaf could ever be? Yes. Okay, uh, here's it. Last week, Austin made made it very clear that a volcano caused Olaf in Frozen. And then after we got off the pod, we had a long discussion about what sentient snowman was like the best and Austin said Frosty and then I explained to him why Frosty is terrifying and it all comes back to Mercury. Yes. So you did this because of that. I did this because of that. All right. Yeah. The peek behind the curtain. Everything I do is based on crazy shit Maddie says to me. Yeah. Yeah, there is crazy shit that I say a lot. Yeah. Like yesterday we were saying that we should just constantly be recording, constantly have a podcast going. Austin said that'd be boring. And I was like, no, like Truman Show, reality TV, why not reality podcasting? See, I don't, yeah, Truman Show would have been really boring because like, come on, like, what do you do all day, every day? Nothing. Austin, I don't want to watch the real the world was like literally just people sitting around and doing nothing for the most part and yeah. then getting really drunk and jumping into pools. I hope she's okay now. I, th- I gather she did not have a, gr- a great go of it oh, after. No. So anyway, let's talk about Mercury. So if you'll all uh, look at your periodical table that that I know you have. Periodical in front- table? The, your periodic table. Oh my God. This is going real well. Great start. If you'll all look at your periodic table that you should all have in front of you, uh, you'll be able to see that Mercury is the 80th element. It's right between gold and thallium. Its symbol is HG from the Latin hydrogyrum, meaning water silver. Uh, Its melting point is around negative 38 degrees Fahrenheit. So it is a liquid in most places in nature on Earth. Like there's a few like spots, like if you had some Mercury at the North Pole or the South Pole, like in winter, it would be solid occasionally, but not often. Would it be bad if I licked it? Super bad. Even if it was a solid? So incredibly bad. Damn. And uh, it's also pretty dense. It weighs about 13.5 grams per cubic centimeter, which is about 13 times heavier than water. You look like you're going to say something. You're making me imagine things and it's not going well. (laughs) Okay, let's just keep going. So let's skip the rest of the boring chemistry stuff and get into the uh, very exciting 4,000 years of recorded history. Physics. Now, uh, we know that people have known about Mercury since about 2000 BCE. Uh, it was 
like there's records of it in India and China around from those times. And the widespread belief in a lot of that areas was that it was a part of an elixir of immortality and could treat all sorts of illnesses. And it was kind of like a like, oh, yeah, mercury. Yeah, that's medicine. That's good uh-huh. for you. I like to mix it with my cocaine and then hang out with some ghosts. Yeah, um, it was not medicine. In fact, the uh, the first emperor of China, uh, Qin Shi Huang, yeah, Emperor Qin, uh, died of mercury poisoning because it was given to him. It's like, oh yeah, this is an, this is totally an immortality elixir. It was not. He died. It's an unmortality. It's an unmortality. Elixir. And uh, we also have records of mercury in ancient Egypt. Uh, we found it in liquid form in tombs, and we also knew they use they use cinnabar, which is the ore that we extract mercury from, as a red pigment, and also in makeup. Not to be confused with cinnamon, the no. delicious, delicious cinnamon rolls. Also, for any of you at home who are shaking their heads like, oh my god, why on earth would they use mercury as makeup? Um, Don't get too judgy, because mercury is still used in makeup. In fact, uh, in 2016, Amazon got in a lot of trouble for selling a skin lightening makeup that had dangerous levels of mercury. Okay, actually, uh, well, actually, the thing is, uh, mercury and other skin lighteners are largely regulated... uh, in general, the U.S. does not regulate anything within the makeup industry. Skin lighteners are usually imported black market style from other parts of the world that do not have that kind of thing. Mercury is one of the few things that we actually do regulate. So if Amazon was selling them, it is really not surprising they got caught and got in trouble. Yeah. So uh, the Greeks and the Romans also knew about mercury, which is how actually we it got its name because it's associated with the god Mercury and the planet Mercury because it goes around so fast because it's a very quick metal because it moves around and shit. And so since I'm talking about ancient Rome, I think you know where this is heading. Lots and lots of death. In his natural histories, <laughs> Pliny the Elder says that this shit is poison. So Pliny knows what's up just like always. Yeah. He said it can be used to treat serious hemorrhages, but it shouldn't like get into your body. It's like, it was bad, it's awful, and he said he personally would never use mercury. He won't even touch it, because it's so poisonous. How did he test this, I wonder? Like, he did everything. He heard a guy talk about it in a bar. But, like, okay, Pliny is weirdly right, weirdly often. I mean, I've been wearing my testicle talisman, and things have gotten so much better. I know, it's, like, made social distancing so much easier for you. It really has! Nobody wants to talk to me anymore, and... That's the dream. <laughs> oh, yeah. So remember, Pliny died because he ran towards an erupting volcano with a pillow strapped to his head. And even he wouldn't touch mercury. Okay, I get why he did that. Why are you judging him for something that you know I would do? <laughs> Maybe if I repeat it often enough, it'll get through to you. I mean, I, I, I like Michael Myers style chased somebody who was committing a crime a couple weeks ago. You don't want me to like <laughs> learn about these new things that I can do. And of course, it wasn't just all quack medicine. It was also used in quack science. Specifically, Wait, amongst... is medicine not science? Well, you know, a different non-medical science. Alchemists thought they could use it to find the philosopher's stone, which would, you know, which would grant immortality and also turn, you know, base metals into gold. And they did a lot of experiments with it and tested it. And lots of like very famous people like Isaac Newton had lots of mercury in their bodies. And we actually found that out when we tested some of his like hair way later on. It's like dangerous levels of mercury. How gullible do you have to think be to think that one thing can do both of those? Like that has always pissed me off about the philosopher's stone. Immortality, fine. Turn shit into gold, fine. But you think one 
item can do both of those things? Seriously? Yeah. Like, you know these alchemists knew that wasn't the case, but they were like, okay, I gotta get me a sponsor, gotta get me that money. Who is dumb enough to believe this? Yeah. So, but despite all of its questionable uses, there were a lot of things that mercury was used for. Uh, it had some major in- industrial uses, especially in metallurgy. Like, it was used for uh, amalgams of metals, which is what we would use in fillings, which, yes, mercury was used in fillings until very recently. So, yeah, just mercury just in your mouth. It's fine. Uh, How it's recently? All, like, the 1960s. Oh, okay. No, I'm fine. Yep. Uh, it was used in refining silver and gold. Like, the entire Spanish silver trade basically depended on them having lots of mercury so they could refine ore taken from New Spain, aka America, and turn it into high-quality silver to sell. And you know, we still actually use it in lots of gold and silver and other metal refining stuff. And it also has uses in industrial chemical manufacturing. And for a long time, there was really no waste regulation on what we did with mercury. And it didn't particularly matter as much when it was very small scale. But when like the world industrialized and things kept getting larger and faster when we started producing more and more... It became a big problem, and one of the best-known cases of mercury pollution actually comes out of Japan. Uh, the uh, It is the uh, Chiso Minamata disease, or just the Minamata disease, and Chiso was a large chemical producer in the city of Minamata. Uh, it was a very corporate town, because Chiso employed about a quarter of the people in this town, and it was responsible for about half of the tax revenue in the area. So this was a big player in this area. It was a big company. Everyone worked for it, and there was like a certain amount of loyalty to this company amongst the people there. But in 1956, a strange disease broke out in Minamata. Uh, the, f- the symptoms were ataxia, which is loss of voluntary muscle coordination, uh, numbness of the hands and feet, muscle weakness, vision and hearing loss, and trouble speaking, and, in extreme cases, insanity, paralysis, coma, and death within weeks of onset of symptoms. So this was just a very sudden, people were getting sick and dying horrifically, and they did not know why. Uh, The initial investigation determined it was an unknown disease of the central nervous system. That's what they thought. And uh, in this case, the uh, the victims were isolated until they could determine that it was not uh, contagious and their homes were all disinfected because they thought if this is a disease, we need to isolate this and quarantine them, which they did. And they quickly determined, no, this isn't a communicable disease. Uh, but the, while they were investigating, the local officials noticed that lots of cats were acting strangely. They were, uh, called it uh, dancing cat disease. I don't think I'm going to like this part. Oh, no. And there's also other abnormalities in local wildlife as well. Like crows were falling out of the sky. Uh, there was massive fish die-offs. Uh, seaweed actually stopped growing on the seabed in certain areas of the bay where they were dumping these chemicals. And Were the cats doing that like neurologic wobbly thing? Yeah, they were. And the Chiso company uh, had previously compensated local fishermen for, because the pollution from the plant was hurting local fisheries. And they were giving them, like, you know, just they were ordered to give payoffs to these people because it was hurting... Like, like, you know, the fishing way of life. So it's like, yeah, we need to, it's like, you're ruining fishing. You got to pay these guys. So uh, local authorities uh, finally got assistance from the uh, Kumamoto University to better record the symptoms and provide more thorough exams. But by October 1956, there were 40 confirmed cases and 14 deaths, which is an alarming rate. It was about 35% of people who contracted this died, and they still didn't have a real cause for anything. But the investigators did quickly find a few patterns. First, The victims were clustered in small fishing hamlets and were often in the same family. Uh, The fish and shellfish in in Minamata Bay were a staple of their diet, and the cats and birds would often eat scraps from from the fish as they prepared them and cleaned them, and they were experiencing similar symptoms. 
So they began looking at the seafood for possible food poisoning. By November 4th, they determined that it was a heavy metal poisoning that presumably entered the body through consuming fish and shellfish. Uh, the company's own tests determined that large concentrations of lead, mercury, manganese, arsenic, thallium, and copper in amounts large enough to cause serious environmental degradation were being dumped into the ocean. So they knew that all of these metals were being dumped nearby and they were getting into people through the shellfish, but they didn't know what specifically was causing it yet. Uh, all and all of the fish they caught had high metals of high levels of these heavy metals and the people they autopsied who died of this, they found lots of high concentration of these metals in their organs as well. All of them. So this was not particularly healthy. Yeah. And you can't really tell people to stop eating the primary staple of your diet. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, okay, guys, you can no longer eat Cheetos. Like we wouldn't survive. No, we would, we would be dead. You would just find two skeletons up here with a, you know, podcast recording equipment on. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know what to do. So in 1958, a visiting British neurologist, uh, Douglas McAlpine, who uh, was a like kind of like a pioneering figure in studying MS, multiple sclerosis, and he noticed that these symptoms closely resembled organic mercury poisoning. And in this case, it's organic in the chemical sense, meaning it's a carbon-containing compound, specifically methylmercury or CH3HG, uh, not mercury that you could buy at Whole Foods because it's organic and healthy. Just clarifying here. Well, Chiso used mercury as a catalyst in some of their production, and a portion of it got dumped into the sea as waste, where it became digested by bacteria and the compounds and the bacteria produce the methylmercury, which is super toxic, by the way. And methylmercury just doesn't pass through things. It like You just like eat it. Oh, I get sick. I poop it out. It builds up in your body. And because it builds up in your body, uh, there's a, this thing called bioaccumulation that happens. So imagine there's a chemical in the grass and a goat eats the grass and it builds up in the goat. And then wolves start eating the goats and it builds up in the wolves. Why do you have to use goats for this? Because I've been thinking about goats a lot today. You're trying to hurt me. Yes. Yes, I am. So, but because, like, it's built up in the goats and wolves have to eat a lot of goat, it's like, it's rough. The rough figure is for every, like, 10 pound, uh, sorry, every pound of something there is, they've had to consume roughly 10 pounds of food to develop that pound. So it starts building up more and more in the wolves and it builds up more and more the higher up you get in the food chain, which is especially pronounced in fish. Because there's a lot of steps in the food chain before you get up to something like a tuna fish or a shark or a whale or a dolphin. It's like they have to eat a lot and they're generally eating things that are predators of other things that are predators of other things. Yeah, tuna is actually like a really big fish, isn't it? Oh, they're huge. They're like five, six hundred pounds. It's like, it's just weird. one of those things where I've always, I always thought it was small because of the cans, I think. Yeah. It's so, not that bright. So we know that it builds up in these fish this way. And we also know that there was a lot of mercury in Minamata Bay, uh, specifically in the waste water channel from the plant that went out to the bay. Uh, they found that there was so much mercury in this waste channel that they were able to profitably mine mercury out of the waste and sell it. That's how much mercury there was. They were able to mine it. And they took hair samples from the people around the area, and they found that they had mercury levels 50 times higher than the normal population. Now, uh, the Chiso company was not happy about this investigation. Uh, they rerouted their wastewater from the bay into a nearby river, which went out to another part of the, this uh, a different area to kind of like slow down the investigation and like hide their presence in this. And it actually made things worse because it spread the pollution further, and there were cases of the Minamata disease uh, 
popped up over a much larger area, and it also caused a lot of fish to die off in this river and where this river emptied out in the ocean. Uh, they also had done an independent experiments that confirmed that uh, shellfish in this wastewater, when fed to cats, would cause this Minamata disease. Specifically, they had cats die in part of these experiments. Nice. They're very nice people. Yeah. Uh, I, I get, I understand why they had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now they did not disclose this to the investigators and refused to cooperate or share any of their manufacturing processes. They also uh, funded research to find other potential causes to undermine the investigation. Mm-hmm. So which this may sound familiar with like, you know, oil companies and global warming or cigarette companies. So, you know, shitty corporate behavior is not new. Uh, now, the Minamata disease didn't really get national attention until fishermen forced their way into the factory, demanding compensation for the damage they did to fishing. They actually kind of right in there and did about $100,000 worth of damage. And eventually there was enough pressure that the Chiso company gave them sympathy money. And also because of this and the mercury, they actually banned fishing in the Minamata Bay. But the people suffering from mercury poisoning were in a much weaker position. Um, <laughs> people didn't want to engage, endanger their livelihood because this, if this company went under or this company had trouble, everyone in the town would suffer. So local politicians and people who worked for the company were covering their asses. It's like, no, we don't want we don't want to lose our jobs or our livelihoods. So they were offered a small compensation of about nine hundred and seventeen dollars a year for adults, two hundred seventy five dollars a year for children, and a three thousand dollars single payment for death. Which you know, in nineteen fifties money, that's not bad. Yeah, but it's still real low. <laughs> Yeah. The the government did also order them to divert waste back into the the original channel and not into the river anymore. And they needed to install a wastewater treatment system immediately. And they did install something that resembled a wastewater treatment facility. They even had the CEO taste water coming out of it that actually wasn't wastewater coming out of it. It didn't actually work. It just kind of was there and made people feel better. Mm-hmm. And they continued to, for the next 10 years, continued dumping mercury into the bay. And it eventually spread to dangerous levels all over the Shiranai Sea, which was like big inland sea. And it ruined fishing across the entire area because they dumped so much just poison into the water. It was levels high enough in this entire body of water to cause permanent nerve damage in people. Uh, one case studied had 230 times the normal levels of mercury in her hair. Uh, the local government uh, covered up these cases and in most cases did not even inform patients of their test results containing mercury. Uh, the deaths were listed as unknown causes. Mm-hmm. And But over this time, an abnormal number of children were diagnosed with cerebral palsy in this in the Minamata area. And there was a doctor, uh, Dr. Masazumi Harada, who noticed that infantile cases of this supposed cerebral palsy closely resembled the Minamata disease, even though the parents showed no symptoms. So he and other doctors determined that it was methylmercury poisoning, and they thought the placenta would protect infants from it, but it in fact did the opposite. The placenta actually built up higher levels of mercury from the mother's blood into the child, which, by the way, is why we recommend to this day that pregnant women avoid shellfish and certain other fish. Because of mercury poisoning. Yeah, like sushi. Yeah. And uh, it was recognized as congenital Minamata disease, and the children and families were eligible for compensation. Now, is that just a holdover recommendation, or are there actually still, like, really high levels of mercury in these? Still. Not, like, this high, but high enough to potentially cause danger. Uh, Worldwide? Yeah. 
Oh, we'll get into that. So over time, other pollution-related diseases, as well as cases of methyl mercury poisoning in other places in Japan, where uh, the company didn't have as much power, started to pop up, and there were successful lawsuits. And it kind of resulted in a major shift in public opinion and the government kind of being able to take more action. Because, you know, about 12 years after the first cases were reported, uh, the government took decisive action that the, uh, like, the, with the uh, the government decided to take decisive action. They determined that the me- the mercury dumped by this plant was causing these diseases. The fishing ban did not cause stop it. Their water treatment was not effective, and there were all these other cases in the area that were caused by this, and they would have to be held responsible for it. Uh, the Chiso company continued to play dirty pool. Uh, they wanted people to go into arbitration and not sue them directly. Uh, they'd actually sent gifts to people who were supported arbitration and were agreeing to it, and harass the people who were not, who were trying to sue them. And initially, the arbitration sums were pitiful. Like, just hundreds of dollars total. That's it. But this got out that they were being so cheap, and there were protests, strikes, and then the Chiso company doubled their payments they offered the families. Still pretty low. But 41 certified patients opted to sue. Uh, They were pressured to drop the suit. Uh, People harassed them in the streets. Uh, Literal human shit was thrown at them in the streets. Like, they were stigmatized, people hated them, it was it was a big deal. There was a lot of stigma for doing this, and they still went through with it. And the trial lasted for four years. Jeez. Um, there was lots of testimony from doctors, people with disease, uh, levels, including, because of this lawsuit, they were able to discover the company's own tests that they had done determining that there was all of these levels of mercury, and that they knew that they were contributing to it, and that they knew that their water treatment was ineffective. And a, also, a former factory manager testified that Chiso put, po- put profit ahead of safety and did not handle mercury safely at all. Uh, the, the patients won the suit just resoundingly, and in 1973 were awarded $3.4 million total amongst all of them. It's the largest sum awarded by the Japanese, by Japanese court at that time. Um, as of 2001, 2,265 victims have been officially certified and 10,000 people have been compensated by the Chiso Corporation. So this kind of started... Mercury had been bad for a while, but this really, like, sped up people keeping mercury out of things. Like, in the United States, if you're working with mercury, you are working with it under the absolute strictest safety standards. It is one of the most con- most closely monitored substances in manufacturing, in waste. It's a big deal, and it is well, it is as well regulated as anything is in this country. But better regulated than most makeup. Yeah. Now, uh... Right now, most of the mercury pollution we have comes from metal refining and from coal-burning power plants. What? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and here's a final note. We all know that mercury is bad, but for a time, vaccines had a mercury-containing compound, thimerosal, as a preservative agent in them. And certain um, morons thought that it was giving children autism. That's a whole episode in and of itself. It is. So I'm going to be very brief. Well, first, it th- this compound does not accumulate in the body like methylmercury does. It's a different chemical. It's like being as opposed to being opposed to salt, sodium chloride, because chlorine gas was used as a weapon during World War 1. It's a different chemical. Secondly, it's a minuscule amount. Even if it was dangerous, the amount of mercury from a single can of tuna is more than you get for all of these shots. And by the way, that is about 25 micrograms. Yeah, guys, um, you've all, you all know exactly what Austin's talking about here. Google how that 
doctor got his results and found this because you will lose your goddamned mind. Oh, it's also- the most bananas, quote unquote, study. Oh, and on top, i.e., kidnapping. Oh, it's even worse. Not only did was the study garbage. He went after it for a certain result because he had just patented a measles vaccine that he wanted to give separately from other vaccines. So he was trying to drum up business for his vaccine to make money. He was assaulting children for this. Yeah. Go read about it. It's fun. Scumbag. Absolute scumbag. He lives in Texas. Congratulations, guys. Yeah. Thirdly, there is no causal link between vaccines and autism. No, no matter what Jenny McCarthy tells you. And finally, this isn't, it isn't even used in vaccines anymore. Karen, they've stopped using it years ago because they they went from like vials where you draw out a certain amount normally to individual doses of these vaccines that are given to children. So yeah. Okay. Anger over. Are you ready for questions? Sure. All right. Was, will this be on the test that toxic, that a toxic metal was thought to prolong your life? Yes. Okay. Will that plenty of the elder was, wouldn't even mess with this shit be on the test? Pliny needs to be on every test. Yeah. Will the fact that it took 12 years to there be any sizable action against the Chiso Corporation be on the test? Yes, because we're assuming this test is taking, being taken in America. Yeah. Will the fact that the free market really does not protect you be on the test? Because, oh boy, it does not. We don't talk about such things like that, Austin. Will the facts that regulations work be on the test? That will be on the test. They won't talk about how few things are regulated. Yeah. And will the fact that we seriously just need to stop burning coal coal already be on this test no yeah that was my little thing about mercury i was gonna do some other stuff but i like aminamata disease was way more interesting than i thought it would be and it kind of reminded me of radium girls but also a little sadder i don't know at no point during that were people's faces rotting off no it was more like just neurological so yeah it was it was bad very widespread and luckily like you know people saw that this was a problem and they fixed it so yay Except they didn't fix it. We just regulated it within this country, not the rest of the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. okay, so Australia has some pretty stringent regulations about things. EU, Canada, Japan actually often does now. South Korea, absolutely. But a lot of the world, and I'm talking like generally about cosmetics mostly, but mercury in particular, mercury and lead as well, depends on where you're getting your stuff from. Yeah. Mm. I know things about certain things, but not about other things. Yes. And I that... mean, that's a very true statement and also way too general to be useful. I know things about some things, but I don't know things about other things. Well, no. Okay, so I can tell you all about the regulations on the cosmetics industry in the United States. But the other day I looked at Austin and I said, wait, Napoleon was an emperor? I was, I, okay, originally I was going to shame you on this from the start, but I thought, no, no, I'm not. She's like, all I know about Napoleon is, like, what she said was, all I know about Napoleon was he was not actually short and that he lost a battle against rabbits. And Austin did not know about the bunny battle. He did. It was true. And I did not know about it. But it's not enough for a whole episode of it itself. It is not. I told him, like, Austin, if you, you could sit here. And he started telling me, like, all this bullshit about Napoleon. And I was just nodding along. And he was like, you know, I'm making all this up, right? I'm like, oh, go, go fuck yourself. Because I I literally know nothing. And I took the advanced history classes. He he wasn't mentioned. I guess they assumed that we were going to learn about Napoleon at home or on the streets. Yeah. Really, all she the closest thing she knows about Napoleon is what she learned about McCavity, the Napoleon of crime. What? McCavity, the cat from Cats. Yeah. They refer to him as the Napoleon of crime. You don't even know. Wow. 
Do you just like block out like every time Napoleon's mentioned? Is like your brain go to static? <laughs> it's kind of like me trying to learn to play poker. Every time I just forget immediately afterwards. <laughs> the men in black come up and do their little like thing at my face. <laughs> So I forget how to play poker, and I forget every mention of Napoleon, but for some reason I remember the show Cats. Oh, uh, no one should remember Cats. I think that was a good thing. I legit that don't out. remember that line. <gasps> okay. Okay. Well, speaking of misremembering things, I'm here today to talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Ooh. Are you going to be gently rapping, rapping on my chamber door? Do you mean to beatbox for you? You're acting like we ever close doors in this house. We have four fucking cats. We're not allowed to close doors in this house. They freak out. No, like, I mean, it's, although I'm sitting next to what might be a cask of Amontillado situation over here. Because that's the one where they wall them in. Yeah. And we don't know what's behind this wall, but we know that there's a big gap. Could be a cask of Amontillado situation right next to me. I'm hoping for gold bars. Yeah, so like chances are you learned you read some Edgar Allan Poe in school. Um, it's actually what my English class was studying when my dad died. Like so, for like the week and a half, two weeks that I was gone, that was the unit that I missed. And my teacher was like, "You can just skip this unit. Like, I'll I'll get you a pass." I'm like, "No, I want to go back to normal. I want to read these things." So I was reading Cask of Amontillado without any guidance as a twelve year old, and I really liked it. But I kept pronouncing it in my head as Amontilladillo. Oh no! Can't cannot explain why I had these extra syllables in there. This, these casks of armadillos. Yep. And not long after, I was reading Harry Potter for the first time, and it was definitely Hermione. So it's okay. Um, we make fun of my sister a lot for how she insisted up and down that no, Percy is dating Penelope. Her name is Penelope. Like we're pretty sure it's Penelope. No, it's Penelope. <laughs> So you may have even learned a little bit about him in addition to reading some of his works. Like, what were some things that you learned about Edgar Allan Poe? Uh, he was like, oh god, he was born like around the same time as Abraham Lincoln. He had a very big head, and he died mysteriously. So that's all you learned about him. That's all I remember, and right. something about a purloined letter. So people typically learned that he was some kind of tortured artist or mad genius and a raging alcoholic with a severe opium addiction. All ringing a bell now? Are you sure they're not talking about Hemingway? Hemingway, to my knowledge, did not have an opium addiction, or nor was he ever rumored to have one. Okay. An alcoholic? Yes. Um, and then you probably also learned that he died in the streets. Yes. Because of the opium and the alcohol, right? Right. We're going to talk about it. Ooh. That was all there. If that was all there was to it, I wouldn't be talking about him. If you learned everything you needed to know in school, if you learned the truth in school, I would not be here right now. <sighs> when you research Poe, okay, I took a class in college, just a general literature class, and my teacher would just randomly go on tangents about Poe and how he was like, we're learning about him wrong and he's misunderstood, but we never read any Poe, so we had no context. But it stuck with me for the last 15 or so years, him saying he didn't, he, it wasn't the opium. He didn't die from opium. And I'm like, well, I was taught that he did, but then he went on with whatever else he was teaching that day. I really liked that teacher overall, but man, he loved him some Poe and wanted to defend <laughs> him. Um, when you research Poe, everything is biased. Everything. You'll find people who truly believe he was this opium-addled madman, and you'll find people who believe that everything that happened in his life was just him being a victim of circumstance. There really isn't much in between. 
Um, and since I'm not going to pour through 3,000 books to decide on everything for you guys, I'm going to give you what I could find that was more middle ground or when there doesn't seem to be a good middle ground, I'm going to say some people say this, some people say that. I'm sure no matter what, someone's going to tweet at me and tell me I was wrong or that I left something out. Also, to make it clear, I am not doing any literary analysis during this. Austin knows how painful it is for me to not be doing any literary analysis during this. I've been getting literary analysis. I'll, I've been getting it for you before this episode started. But I'm focusing on who Mr. Poe was as a person throughout his life. All right. Edgar Allan Poe was born simply Edgar Poe. There Ooh. was no Allen. In Boston in 1809. I don't know when Abraham Lincoln was born, but I feel like Abraham Lincoln was older than that. I don't know. When was Abraham Lincoln president? I don't know. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was president during the Civil War, which was the eight. 1830? I, I, I absolutely... When was the Civil... God damn it! We're a history podcast. We are not a history podcast. We're a stuff you didn't learn in school podcast, and clearly we are the ones who need this. Yeah. Um. So he was... Both of his parents, David and Eliza, were actors. Eliza was a successful actor, starting at age nine up until, uh, up until she died. David was a highly criticized, shitty actor and an abusive alcoholic. So it's not a huge surprise that when Edgar was like two, his dad peaced out, never to be seen again. Edgar had an older brother named William Henry Leonard Poe, who went by Henry, who I couldn't find a ton about, but he died at the age of 24. And then the baby who was born after David's disappearance, who would have been conceived around the time that David took off, was named Rosalie. Rosalie may or may not have had the same father as Edgar and Henry because she was conceived right at that time. But I'm not going to sit here and slander the good name of Eliza because Eliza, it sounds like, was kind of cool. And then Rosalie is really interesting. And I actually planned on talking about her, but I did, but I was already getting along, so I didn't. So let's just leave it at um, the word used to describe child, the child Rosalie was backwards, which people take to mean as um, somehow mentally handicapped. However, as she got older, you she, she comes across where there is something not right about her. Like apparently when Edgar was off giving a lecture or doing a reading, she was there and she got one up. This is an adult and just sat on his lap while he gave his reading. And he was just like, okay. Um, but, and she would also like zone out and people are like, what are you thinking about? And she goes, my thoughts are empty. I've got, there's, I'm not thinking about anything. But if she started going, you could tell that there's like this genius brain hidden behind whatever was doing this. Like she actually said at some point, she's like, I feel like I could have been a writer like Edgar, but I can't, she's like, the poems are in my brain, but I can't get them to go somewhere. So she's, she was interesting. Um, but then Eliza died in 19 or 1811. So the children got split up. Edgar went to live with John and Francis Allen in Richmond, Virginia, taking their name as his middle name, although they never actually adopted him. I could not find how they knew each other. Like Henry went to his aunt's house. I don't know who the Allens were. But he ended up with the Allens. They were well-off tobacco farmers and were raising Poe to be the perfect Virginian businessman. Oh. Poe had no interest in this. From a young age, he wanted to be Lord Byron when he grew up. And you can find some of his poetry from his childhood written on the back of his foster father's ledger sheets. Now, his foster father went back and forth between spoiling him and abusing him, basically. So uh, kind of, I guess it kind of depends on the day how he took that. 
1826, Poe went to the University of Virginia to study languages. But remember, his foster family, they were wealthy and they refused to pay for more than I, I read. The highest amount I read was a third of what he would need. Well, it wasn't like the norm to have a job while you were in college back then. His foster father refused to send him any additional money, despite the fact that in 1825, just the year before, he had gotten an inheritance that would have equaled $17 million today. Ugh. And he refused to give any to Edgar to go to college. So Edgar Allan Poe began gambling to pay for his tuition and ended up in extreme debt and couldn't even finish his first year of school. His foster father says he sent him more money and sent him more clothes. Poe said that this wasn't the case, or if it was, it wasn't enough. The two became increasingly estranged as a result. Uh, more not because of the money, but more because his foster father was like, how dare you gamble to make the money that I'm not helping you with, even though it's the norm in this cultural time? Um, while he was at college, he might or might not have gotten engaged to a girl. Uh, she was 15, but in fairness, he was 17, named Sarah Elmira Royster, who went by Elmira. Um, we do know that they were together. Whether or not he was they were engaged is the question. We also know that her father was not a huge fan of Edgar. And later on, when he went to go visit her after being sent back, after dropping out and returning to the foster family's farm, he's like, well, I'm going to go see Elmira at least. She was engaged to someone else. So uh, as you might imagine, after dropping out and going back to the farm, things didn't go so well for the next few months. So he finally just said, fuck all y'all and left. <laughs> At 18, Poe enlisted in the army, likely to support himself, though the Poe Museum says it's because he wanted adventure. My guess is it was because he wanted to support himself, because he, uh, for the rest of his life, there's not a whole lot that shows you he wanted a whole lot of adventure. He just wanted to write. He claimed to be 22 years old and be named Edgar A. Perry. He started in Boston, and that same year, he released Tamerlane and other poems. No one read it, apparently, and only 50 copies were printed. <laughs> Uh, his military career. Okay, this is where a lot of the conflicting stories happen. How long was he in the military? How well did he do? Why did he leave? Everybody has a different answer. Um, what we do know is that at the beginning, it went really well. Like after the first two years, he was named Sergeant Major for the Artillery, which is the highest rank of a non-commissioned uh, officer. And then we do know that he wanted out. Um, he had a five-year contract. He didn't want to finish it. He went to his commanding officer and said, I lied on my application. I am not, I am four years younger than I said I am. My last name is Poe. Um, so a, this is one of the more common versions is that his commanding officer said, I will let you out of your contract if you write to your foster father and reconcile so that I know you have a place to go. So he wrote and he never heard back. And he wrote, and he never heard back, and he wrote, and he never heard back. It's not clear if he heard about his foster mother getting sick. What we do know is that he ended up in Virginia at the Allen house the day after she was buried. So it's not clear if his foster father wrote to him and said, P.S., your mom's dying, or foster mom's dying, or if he wrote, or if he just happened to be there that next day. By all accounts, he got along with his foster mom just fine, and the... The primary story is that while he was there, his foster father, Alan, agreed to the reconciliation so that Poe could go to the military academy at West Point. Basically, he needed out of his contract if he wanted to go take a post at West Point. I don't really understand how it works. Um, and then there's some disagreement there. Either he waited until there was a replacement for him at West Point, and then he was discharged, or he was flat out kicked out of West Point after eight months. Some even say he finished at West Point, but that was the end of his military career after that. Huh. Um, there are also ones that were like he... And that he, there are also stories that he purposefully got himself kicked out. Like he got, he, he purposely got himself court-martialed, which also seems to be a really common thing that he wanted out so badly. 
that he was, and he was smart, so he knew exactly how far he'd go to get court-martialed and kicked out without it having a real effect on his future, which seems like probably the most likely scenario in all of this, that he got himself court-martialed on purpose for doing things like not going to church on time. <laughs> and then if he pled not guilty instead of guilty, then he, they would discharge him when they found him guilty, inevitably. So that's what I actually think probably happened. But when? I don't know. After leaving the military, he moved to Baltimore and stayed with his aunt, Maria Clem, and her daughter, Virginia. His brother was there. So that's apparently where his brother went, as was his grandmother, who was, I, I think, wheelchair-bound or bed-bound. Uh, and then in September 1829, critic John Neal got hold of some of his work and gave it high praise, which Poe said was the first positive reinforcement he had ever gotten in his life. Oh, poor boy. Yeah, poor 25-year-old dude or whatever. Um, so he published another book called Al Araf, Tamerlane, and Other Poems in Baltimore of that uh, that year. Soon after, his foster father remarried. This was just over a year after his first wife died, and uh, Edgar wasn't too pleased about this. Now there are again two versions of what happened next. I like this one better. Poe found out that he got married, went to him, and said, "Okay, bitch, it's been a year." Since your wife of decades died and you remarried somebody, should I go tell her about all the other illegitimate kids you have or should you? Because apparently Poe, like in this version, knew that he had been sleeping around the whole town and hurting his first wife in that way and had illegitimate kids. Um, and so they completely cut off contact after that. The other version is that he, you know, he wasn't happy about the marriage, but knew none of this. Uh, things are kind of confused because okay, West Point, blah, blah, blah. John Allen died while Poe was in Baltimore. So that asshole is gone. And unsurprisingly, left Poe out of his will. Ugh. But he provided for an illegitimate kid that Poe had never heard of. <laughs> so we do know there was at least one kid that Poe had never heard of, and that is who was provided for, not the kid he had raised. So Poe is beyond poor at this point, but he kept trying to get published instead of going and getting a job. <laughs> Now, I mean, I get it, but also we got a job. God, so it's like the weird, like, pumpkin-headed Lena Dunham story from Girls. I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to become famous as an author. Oh, yeah. Uh, finally, though, his short stories did begin to get minor attention, finally with one of them winning a contest sponsored by the Saturday Visitor, which helped him gain a position at the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond, Virginia. At the Messenger, he ultimately became assistant editor, and he published his own work, and became well-known as a very harsh literary critic. He did not make a whole lot of friends. Huh. In 1836, when he was 27, he brought his aunt and cousin to Richmond from Baltimore and married his cousin. His cousin. His cousin. I'm sure at some point during your school, you also heard that he married his cousin. I'm. It's coming back to me now. He was 27. How old was she? 13 or 14. Dude. They. It's believed that they lied and said she was 21. Although, by all accounts, they were genuinely happy together. This is not a product of the time thing. Like, this one's still a little weird, even for the time. But, I mean, they were happy. Yeah. So, I guess. Um, now, I'm getting into something that got me to research this in the first place to the, for this week. Uh, this is from Atlas Obscura, excerpted, excerpt, excerpt, taken and adapted from The Reason for the Darkness of the Night, Edgar Allan Poe and the Forging of American Science. Most sources ignore this particular work of Poe's. I had a hard time digging stuff about it, although it is out there. But I have found Atlas Obscura to be a, a reliable source overall, and the book has a really official name. 
So Poe moved to Philadelphia in 1838 with his aunt and cousin wife. His level of, of poverty was like literally bread. And if you're lucky, some stuff on the bread. And but there he had a friend named James Petter. James Petter was relatively wealthy, worked at a sugar manufacturer, and he was the editor of the Farmer's Cabinet, which wrote about, you know, farms. In Philadelphia, Petter helped Poe find some occasional odd job kind of work. So he was able to start actually, you know, not having people around him starve. His first novel, The Narrative of Arthur Golden Gordon Pym of Nantucket, was published in 1838, and it actually did pretty well. The next year, Poe became the assistant editor of Burton's Gentleman's Magazine, continuing the same work that he had done with The Messenger. He published Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque in two volumes, and it didn't do well at all. <gasps> Tales of the Grotesque? But there was also something pretty special happening at the time. We've talked about how this time people at this time people were super into science. And Poe, despite not having like he actually he'd gone to boarding schools and shit, but he didn't get to finish college and stuff, he actually really understood science and somehow was fluent in French. So he could read and translate scientific works that people around him could not. In 1839, Poe published the book that would ultimately sell the most copies in his lifetime. The Conchologist's first book. Conchologist, as in C-O-N-C-H, as in seashells. So his best-selling book was about seashells. His best-selling book was about seashells. Was it sold by the seashore? It was sold everywhere. And like it had like imprints of actual shells. Like, it was really in-depth. However, to my knowledge, this is the only book he was ever accused of plagiarizing. <laughs> Not the whole thing, parts of it, and he unquestionably improved any previous work done in the field. He looked not just at the shells themselves, but at the animals inside. Previously, they had viewed them as separate things, like the shells are just dead things and the animals have nothing to do with the shells. Poe wrote that the previous works, quote, appear to every person of science very essentially defective, since the relations of the animal and the shell with their dependence upon each other is a radically important consideration in the examination of either. <laughs> so basically, y'all be dumb. I'm going to be writing about the animals along with the shells. Yes. Despite the fact that he had added all this new information, the book was cheaper and shorter than any previous similar work. When the first edition came out, and um, it sold out. And then so they printed a second edition in which he had added even more species. And it came out that same year. <coughs> it became a school textbook. Uh, in all three editions he published, he sold more than he did any other book in his lifetime. And this is a small, like, pocket book almost. He got a whopping $50. About $1,500 today. Not a ton of money, but enough to make his life a little bit easier. But I'll talk in a second about why he only got $50. More importantly than any of that, the book came to the attention of Isaac Lee, who would go on to publish some of his later stories. Everybody was super into this book. Like, it was a school textbook, but people would also just buy it to read about seashells. They didn't have the circle on their Netflix back then. No. It's like, but no, but everyone's catfishing everyone else. Thing is, the plagiarism thing might be way overblown. A good amount of it had been lifted from Thomas Wyatt's Manual of Conchology, which cost $8 
or nearly $230 in today's money. So a tad too expensive for the average person to, person to afford, even as a textbook. So Wyatt went back to the publisher. He was like, okay, this book isn't selling. How about I do a new edition of it that's $1.50, which would be about $43, which is about what textbooks cost uh, on a good day. But this publisher said, no, we don't want to do a new version because it'll compete with the old one. And he's like, the old one's not selling, dumbasses. So he found out that Poe had been like reading about this, was interested. And so he went to Poe and said, OK, I want to republish this book, but I want to use your name and your work in it alongside mine because people will recognize your name. I don't really expect you to add much, if anything, to it. I just want to put your name on the book. I'll give you 50 bucks. And Poe was like, OK, cool. And it turned out Poe had actually done all this original research and put it in the book, but he never negotiated beyond getting just his no. name on it. So he got 50 bucks. And this actually went on to hurt him later on because ex the accusations of plagiarism started, like, even though Wyatt was like, no, I told him to do this. Like, Wyatt was not quiet about that. In 1844, Poe went back to his publisher from his previous novel and they refused to publish it because they thought he was plagiarizing stuff. Ugh. He threatened to sue them over this, explaining all of it uh, had been agreed upon. And um, also Wyatt had plagiarized most of the book himself. <laughs> But it wasn't just literary greatness that Poe wanted. He tried to enter politics several times, what? including attempting to get a position in President John Tyler's administration. And he actually got really close a couple of times to getting these high level political positions, despite having no power, no money, no background. This dude was charming as fuck because you've seen pictures of him. It was not his chiseled features, which also come into play importantly later on. <laughs> Um, so he actually managed to, he had a friend who was friends with John Tyler's son. So he, his friend Frederick. So he was like, okay, I am going to go meet my friend Frederick. He's going to set up a meeting with John Tyler's son. Poe didn't show up. And he told his friend he'd been sick, but his uh, friend Frederick thought he was drunk. He wasn't sick. He was drunk, which may have been the case. Now, there is some belief that he was not so much an alcoholic as he was a lightweight who drank a normal amount, but just got real drunk. I kind of think that's probably them being a little too nice, I think he probably was an alcoholic and because alcoholism is genetic and his dad was an alcoholic and he had a pretty shitty go of it. Yeah. Uh, especially because in the middle of all of this, Virginia, his wife, um, started to show her first signs of tuberculosis while singing and playing the piano. He said basically it, so it sounded like a blood vessel burst in her throat. Oh. Um, she did partially recover, but the rumor is that that Poe really began to drink heavily at this point. And he started jumping from publication to publication, like, job here, I'm going to move here, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, because he really wanted to write his own stuff at the end. And for some reason, he he accused that uh, Henry Wadworth, Wadsworth Longfellow of plagiarism, which I'm not really sure what the story is there, but that alienated him from the literary community a little further. But then came January 29th, 1845, when The Raven was published in The Evening Mirror. It was an immediate hit and made Poe a household name and very little money because it was published in a magazine. 1847, two years later, Virginia died mm -hmm. in what is now called the Edgar Allan Poe Cottage, which was in what is now was in now what is now the Bronx and has been relocated since. This would have made her about age 25. And by all accounts, this is what finally broke him. Like he just he just was completely 
fucked up from then on because he actually was happy with his wife. He actually was in a re- he like he was starting to make a little bit of money. He had a house. They had a pet deer. Like all this stuff was was going pretty good. And then his wife died. That would break anybody, but especially somebody who had been through enough at this point in his life his mom had died when he was young his foster mother died without him even knowing ahead of time his wife died young the possible fiance from earlier was gone with someone else every other attempt he made at romance was failing so they think that this accounts for how many of his works talk about the deaths of beautiful young women it wasn't him this wasn't a Hemingway let me fantasize about killing someone thing it was let me process what happened in my life thing Because if you read some Hemingway, he likes to kill off some female characters that are clearly based on women in his life and how he would have liked their endings to be. If I'm being honest, I kind of loved the one Hemingway book I read in which he did that because I kind (laughs) of understood where he was coming from. But (laughs) that's a whole other thing. Then Elmira came back. Remember Elmira? Yeah. The uh, potential fiance. Or more accurately, she didn't come back. He showed up at her house unannounced (laughs) a year after his wife died. She had married and she had children, but her husband had died several years earlier. She was very wealthy at this point, um, but she was told that she would be losing a good chunk of her inheritance if she ever remarried. Like that money was just going to go away. Poe tried again and again to get her to marry him, but her kids did not want her to do so. And her kids were not adults. I think one was nearly an adult, but one was a kid. And chances are she didn't want to lose any of her inheritance either, which is understandable because, you know, he poor and she's got $100,000 like in the 1800s. That's damn. Yeah. However, she did, by all accounts, they loved each other. Like they actually like really worst case scenario were best friends, but it seems like they did love each other. She worked with him on his drinking. They like, Part of the reason she wouldn't marry him is because of his drinking. Well, she actually tried to get, get help him get it under control to the point where he actually joined the Richmond chapter of the Sons of Temperance. So I couldn't tell if that actually made a difference in his life or not. But if it did, that makes what happens next real, real sketchy. Um, he was doing a lecture tour at this point, uh, so he's kind of like in and out, but, but most biographers believe the two had agreed that they were going to marry. They weren't like engaged, I have a ring engaged. It was they had an understanding kind of situation that the marriage was was forthcoming. Two weeks before his death, Elmira said that she, he came to visit her and he was really, really sick, um, but he was leaving the next day. He wanted to see her. She, he was sick to the point where she got up to go check on him the next morning, like went across town to go visit and he, he was already gone. He was on a, a boat to Baltimore. <clears throat> on October 3rd, 1849, Poe was found lying in the streets in Baltimore. Now, Poe, you know from his picture that this was a dapper fellow, and that was a big thing with him. He wanted to look sharp 100% of the time. He was completely disheveled. And I don't just mean I got drunk, threw up on myself, and fell on the ground disheveled. I mean, the clothes didn't fit and had holes in them kind of disheveled. Come to find out, he was wearing someone else's clothes. The dude who found him was like, uh, he needs help like yesterday. So he managed to get him help. Um, they were saying that Poe was barely coherent, wouldn't or couldn't explain what was happening to him, but he kept saying the name Reynolds, Reynolds, Reynolds. No one knows who Reynolds was or what this means. He did say that he had a wife in Richmond, which likely meant Elmira because Virginia had never lived in Richmond with him as far if she had it been brief. 
newspapers said that um, when he died four days later, four days of a nonstop delirium, hallucinations and ramblings, according to his doctor, which I'll talk about more in a second, too. Newspapers used some very nice euphemisms for he died of being a raging alcoholic. But, um, yeah, that's what the newspapers said. There are rumors about other various ailments that could have caused it from heart disease to rabies. These are like stuff that came up in the future. To something called cooping, which is something we should probably look up more, um, which in which people were basically kidnapped and forced to vote at different voting locations over and over as a part of voter fraud. And this was on an election day or like right around an election day. So he was like, they're like, what if he was just kidnapped and drugged and forced to go vote over and over and over? And he was just wrong place, wrong time, which honestly isn't the worst thing. Worst. uh, It's it's not total conspiracy theory, considering it was a known thing to be happening at the time. He was a visitor from out of town, so no one would necessarily recognize him. And if he was still drinking at this time, he'd probably be pretty easy to drug. <clears throat> and it would explain the different clothing, because especially if they try, like, were like, hey, let's take him to the same place again. Dress him up in different clothes. Yeah. I don't think it's the worst, uh, worst theory. Some also say it was suicide. And it is true that a year before, he had nearly died of an overdose of common medications. But it's not clear if this was intentional or if he had just, like, misjudged how much he had taken. So it wasn't like a, oh, he drank the entire bottle of mercury situation. It's like, oh, no, he did two drops of mercury instead of one kind of situation. Again, don't do mercury. It does not make you immortal. No, it does not. Um, Experts have gone and analyzed his works from around this time and think think that based on the content and the manner of writing, he probably was having a major depressive episode around the time of his death. But again, that doesn't that that is not them saying so he definitely killed himself. They're just saying the way this is written indicates a major depressive episode. Not everybody who has a major depressive episode even wants to kill themselves, let alone goes through with it. Um, Like, seriously, though, whose clothes were they? Why is no one talking about this? And notice how many of these uh, potential reasons for his death involved the word opium? Zero. In fact, how many times in telling his life story have I used the word opium? Zero. There is zero evidence that he was an opium addict. We were taught in school that he was an opium addict. We were. Alcoholic, sure. Dude dude is an alcoholic. But opium addict? This is one of those times when a popular idea just stuck around, similar to the newspaper article about Kitty Genovese, in which they said the bystander effect exists and nobody called the police. Because this was written in a newspaper. Someone in a newspaper said, oh, he was an opium addict. And everybody just believed it. Here's the thing. It was his obituary, written by a dude named Rufus Wilmot Griswold, under a pseudonym, though. Griswold included Poe's poetry in an anthology, which Poe had written a critical review of overall, which started a rivalry. Now, remember the rivalry between Thomas Jefferson and that guy in France? Yeah. This is that kind of situation where uh, Griswold was like, fuck you, Poe. And Poe was like, this is funny. (laughs) And so he would just kind of fuck with Griswold back by all accounts, as opposed to like, he didn't actually know this was a legitimate rivalry like Griswold thought it was. Um, And then when Griswold became the editor of a publication after Poe was the editor and got paid more, Poe did get pretty pissed off about that. So he was like, why the fuck is he getting paid more than me? Then they, they try to get favor with the same people. Poe, see, this is, I love this. Poe wrote a character in a book, in one of his stories, that got dumber and dumber as he read Griswold's works. 
Ironically, if you want to find things that belonged to Rufus Wilmot Griswold today, you go to the Poe Museum. They have his stuff. (laughs) If you want to find his stuff, the Poe Museum has it, which I feel like is really good revenge for what Griswold does next. As I said, he wrote this obituary. It was long and nasty as fuck. It starts with Edgar Allan Poe is dead, period. New paragraph. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. Going on to say that Edgar Allan Poe had no one who cared about him. No friends, no family, which is patently untrue. And a lot of people came forward and were like, what the fuck? We all loved Edgar. What are you doing? Um, And this is something we were also taught in school. This exact thing. From his obituary, quote, he walked in the street in madness or melancholy with lips moving in indistinct curses or with eyes turned upward in passionate prayers, never for himself, for he felt or professed to feel that he was already damned. So we were also taught in school that he wandered the streets talking to himself because he was high on opium all the time. We were literally taught that in school. This was all in the newspaper. It was his obituary. It must be true, right? Yeah. His friends were like, what the fuck? None of this is accurate. We, to our knowledge, he like, he, yeah, he wrote about people who did opium. So he knew what opium was, but he wasn't like on opium. Like, we'll tell you, he was, he was a drinker. Like he liked, he liked his drinks. He wasn't doing opium. Like, and even then, like, they even they, this is where the whole, like, he might have just been a lightweight thing came from, because like, he didn't seem to be, you know, reliant, and he just seemed to get drunk real fast. Now, that depends on who you ask, but yeah. roundly, everybody was saying there, he never did opium. That wasn't a thing. Which, again, goes back to the Kitty Genovese thing. Everything's true once it's published. Somehow, remember, we already don't like Griswold very much. When Poe died, he went, Griswold went to his mother-in-law, the mother of Virginia, his aunt, um... And got her, forced her, did something to make her sign over all the rights to Poe's work. No! He published those works inside of a biography he wrote about Poe, in which he furthered the lies that you and I were later taught, that he was a drunk, immoral, unstable thief. Wow. Yeah. The opium thing actually wasn't Griswold as much as it was some other people who decided to pile on later. Like, it was, Griswold brought it up, but the other one's like, oh, yeah, no, definitely the opium thing. Definitely, definitely. Because they were all pissed that he did better than them. Um, The last of these, though, where they said he was a thief, is ironic. Because there is one existing oil painting of Edgar Allan Poe. The only one in existence. And it was in Griswold's house. This prized possession. He had stolen it from Poe's mother-in-law. Unbelievable. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, this is probably where a lot of the confusion between all of these different accounts, like I've said several times, like, some say this, some say that. Poe himself didn't write an autobiography. He didn't have a memoir. He didn't even seem, doesn't even sound like he kept a journal. So we have people vouching for him and we have this guy's biography and this guy did know him. So, um, but, oh, the last thing on the opium bit, he apparently, I don't know if he was like hypochondriac or what, but he went to the doctor a lot. His doctor was like, I saw him regularly, like more often than average. He didn't do opium. He was like, I'm a, he's like, I am a doctor. I know what opium addiction looks like. I know what opium withdrawal looks like. I know what opium like is. He gave me no indication at any point that he did opium. Yeah, he drank, but he doesn't do opium. His actual doctor, who he saw far too regularly, it sounds like. Which kind of pissed me off when I got to a PBS article, because PBS is usually a pretty reliable source. They allowed someone who is not an expert in this field, by the way, who just happened to live in Baltimore for five minutes, as far as I can tell. Sorry, dude. You know, don't sue me. Uh, referred to him as, quote, a notorious drunken opium addict. 
And even in terms of him being drunk, yeah, he was drunk, but he wasn't a notorious drunk. That's not the number yeah. one thing he was known for. And it also apparently didn't turn him into an asshole. Like, he didn't abuse his wife. He wasn't mean to the people around him. He was an alcoholic, which obviously is a problem, but don't be dissing my Edgar here. Edgar had a rough life. Yeah. So Poe spent his last four days in a state of delirium and having horrible hallucinations, according to that doctor, not the one from earlier, but this doctor at the hospital named John Joseph Moran, who wouldn't allow him to have any visitors, even though some did arrive, because the guy who found him had contacted someone who knew him. I don't know how he knew a person that Poe knew if Poe was that delirious. Like, Poe must be able to say, contact this person so that to this random guy on the street who managed to write a letter to this other person. People came and were like, I I know Edgar. I want to see Edgar. And they're like, no. He, but he told them, Edgar doesn't want to see you. And he told that he's like, I tried to cheer Edgar up once. He's like, you've got a visitor. And Edgar said, I'd rather die than see anyone, which it doesn't sound like he like it doesn't sound like he was a, like the most gregarious person. But it doesn't sound like he was like me and hated people. Um, They kept him in a part of the hospital that was reserved for drunks and was set up more like a prison. Over the next several years, and now Moran is an interesting one, Dr. Moran. He is not considered a wholly unreliable source, but he is considered a source we should question because there is a chance that some of it is true and some of it is not. So, for example, we have the other guy's account who found him saying, oh, no, he was fucked up. He's like, I thought he was drunk. Moran, though, said, I brought him in. He was not drunk. He was like, he was intoxicated. He was not drunk. He's like, I, he's like, I smelled his breath. Like there was no alcohol. This guy wasn't drunk. So he was drugged or undrugs. My money again goes towards drugged. Yeah. I think somebody went after him. I think this is like a smiley face killer situation over here. Like, did they find a smiley face near his body? He was found in a puddle and one of the smiley face ones was. So has the smiley face killing been going on since the 1800s and we just didn't know it? Maybe. But Moran lectured on the topic. Like he made some money off of this. Over the next several years, made a name for himself, but his story kept changing. Now, some people are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, like, you know, your memory changes over, over time, blah, 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 which is true, but the story changed things they shouldn't have changed. For instance, he says that as soon as Edgar came in, he immediately contacted his mother-in-law, Maria Clem. It didn't happen for a full month after Poe died. Oh. And only after Maria Clem contacted him and was like, what the fuck happened? Because he did have some family who lived in Baltimore who managed to, fr from the other guy, find out what was going on. Um, he also claimed that Poe's last word was this long paragraph of religious and poetic sentences, which just didn't align with Poe's personality. And if he was that delirious, how is he going to spout out all of this poetry, no matter like how poetic he normally is? Uh, he also changed the dates and times at which Poe was brought in and died several times. The, all records are gone if they ever existed in the first place. Poe was buried, exhumed, and reburied. Uh, the originally bar when they went to dig him up after the first one, I, I couldn't find a whole lot of information about why all this was going on. I think ultimately it comes down to the first burial was really fast, and it wasn't really what the, what his remaining family wanted wanted and he didn't have a real headstone which is a whole long story but, but involves a train that derailed um and they wanted virginia to be buried next to him like so they moved his grave so like okay we need to go dig him up so we don't really know where he is so let's just start digging and they dug up the wrong grave they dug up some 19 year old kid oh, no. and they were like oh that's not him so i remember i told you his uh chiseled features would come back into play yeah they dug him up and he is a skeleton at this point they recognized him by the skull shape <laughs> Because his grave was not marked, really, at that point. They recognized him by the skull shape. Uh, and this is 1875. 
He had di- been dead for about 25 years at this point. So just a skeleton. Um, And his wife, they didn't actually like intentionally rebury her next to him exactly. The place that she was buried in got destroyed. Like the cemetery got destroyed. I think they were building over it. And she had no next of kin at that point. Her mom had already died. And I believe she's also married, uh, buried next to Poe. Um, so a Poe biographer convinced the cemetery to give him her body. And so they're like, okay, here you go. Here's a box of bones. What? And he's like, okay, I've got a box of bones. I guess I'll just put it under my bed. So for a decade, he had a box of Virginia Poe's bones under his bed. Like, what the fuck do I do with these? And then he finally got someone to bury them next to Edgar. This is how you get ghosts. The story, though, isn't complete. Like, they're buried, they're dead, all that's done. But the story is not complete until we talk about the mysterious Poe toaster. This person began showing up at Edgar Allan Poe's grave on his birthday in the 1930s. So that is, what, almost 100 years later? Oh, okay. I thought it was like, I was like, did he invent the electric toaster? No. Okay, good, good. Because that's and a turn I couldn't take. He shows up wearing a wearing nothing but black with a scarf or a hood covering his face carrying a silver cane and a bottle of cognac and three red roses and every year he would do a toast to poe with the cognac arrange the three roses on the grave uh and leave the rest of the cognac bottle and leave every single year without fail starting in the 1930s through 2009 what It's believed, of course, that this is not one person, that it was a family thing that was passed down. And in fact, um, occasionally people would leave, whoever it was, would leave a note. Um, Usually it was just something like, Edgar, we haven't forgotten you. Which makes me think that this is like the child of someone Edgar like knew, like something here. Because things are so messed up in terms of the timeline even. Like somebody knew somebody who knew Edgar, basically, who grew up hearing these stories and wanted to do this. Or maybe it was just some super fan who was like, I'm gonna be fucking creepy and like Mask of the Red Death this shit every what? single year. What one of I mean, one of America's first horror writers had has creepy fans that would do something dramatic like this. What? Uh, this sounds like my exact thing. If I lived in Baltimore, I would volunteer to do this. Yeah. Um. Sometimes the notes were like, "You just haven't been forgotten." One of them said, "Hey, my dad died. I'm the new Potoster. Just so you know, why we look a little different. Like, because somebody had noticed, like they look. It looks like somebody who's more spry these days." <laughs> Uh, and one of them referenced sports because there was an upcoming Super Bowl game that involved the Baltimore Ravens, which, by the way, named after Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Uh, that, and then in 2004, it became political, saying, we don't like the French-Iraqi situation, but so we don't, and we don't think you would either, but the French cognac is a tradition at this point, so sorry. Oh, God, I, th- I forgot. I forgot how awful the 2000s were. Um, and then there was the final note, which the curator of the Pope House and Museum has. For years, he said there was no note and that the guy just stopped showing up because he did 2009 just stopped showing up. And then he said, OK, there was a note. I will tell you that it said that the tradition is ending. And it was sometime. We don't know if it was 2009 or if it was in the years between 2004 and 2009 that this happened, that the note was going to He goes, the rest of it is just too disturbing. I'm not going to be sharing the rest of it with anybody, which adds a whole new layer of the mystery to me. Like, what if this dude, what if this was the not related to Poe, but related to the people who killed Poe? What if this had been like deathbed confession? I'm the one who killed Edgar Allan Poe. And so the son or grandson felt like he needed to make up for it every year for the rest of his existence. Like, why is nobody looking at this? Because to me, there is no question that the fucker was murdered. 
There is no question in my mind that he was murdered. Yeah. Um, twenty in twenty fifteen, the Maryland Historical Society was like, you know what? We, we we don't like that this isn't happening, and also tourism. So they brought back the toaster tradition. Uh, they had a contest, and that there is now a Poe toaster again. Nobody knows who it is. Still an anonymous person who goes and does the exact same thing. And that is more or less the life and death of Edgar Allan Poe. You can't cover someone's whole life in an episode, but that's the closest I can get you. Wow. Yeah. I applaud you for not making any Telltale Heart references. I actually, I love Poe. And Austin could tell you, I directed a play that is Poe's stories put on stage with middle schoolers. And it was fucking amazing. It was good. These kids were so good. It was scary. Like it was... The Mask of the Red Death, this is pre-COVID, Yeah, <laughs> um, was legitimately, like, terrifying as fuck. And, like, I had kids who could do, like, these really weird, like, contortion things with their bodies. And there's a scene that's a graveyard that it was just something else. I love Poe. I managed to get through the whole thing without making any. I made, like, one slight literary analysis part. And that was it. That's, that, that is the life of Edgar Allan Poe from as many viewpoints as I could fit in in one episode. Yay! Are you ready for some questions? I am ready for questions. Will the fact that Poe's parents were actors be on the test? Yes. Will the fact that there are a lot of conflicting reports on Poe's life be on the test? That's a tough one. I think it'd have to be because they're so conflicting. Will the fact that his obituary is a big fat fucking lie be on the test as his biography? As is his biography? Yeah, I think that'd have to be. Will the fact that Poe was almost definitely not an opium addict be on the test? Yes. About time we cleared yeah. Edgar's name. Pour one out for Edgar. Some cognac, even if it is distastefully French. <laughs> All right. Oh boy. It's hot as balls up here. I know. Stop. We're gonna have we're gonna have to move our pod closet. Uh figure something out. Where yeah. can, where can people find us in the meantime? Well, you can find us on Twitter at on the test pod, on Instagram at on the test pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod, and our website on the test Twitter is the best way to reach us. If you want to talk to us, uh, talk to us on Twitter. You could also go to any podcasting app that you like and subscribe uh, to us. And if it allows you to review, please give us a review, go, especially if you're on the iTunes, guys. Guys, we know that some of you listen on iTunes, and we know you have not yet given us those five stars. We know you think about it every single time. We know that you are sitting there going, I could, I could click that button and write that little review. Don't make us bury you beneath the floorboards here. Just do it. Do I, it. I, and we Okay. We also would not be able to hear the telltale beating of your heart over the train noises and the cats. Yeah. We, we, so we, we won't even feel you. guilty. We won't even feel bad. Zero guilt. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And like, so that's our next step, though, is if we find out who you are that's not reviewing us and giving us those five stars. We will hunt you down and bury you beneath floorboards or wall you into things. We'll wall you. And we will take your phone and we will no. use your finger to open it up and we will write those reviews for you. No, we'll leave you your phone so you can listen to our podcast and write us a review and think about what you did. We'll also leave you some wine. Awesome. I'll just realize they'll be what able to is, call for help with a cell phone. What is their incentive to write us a review if they know we're just going to leave them in there? We left them wine. And you know what? It's like, oh boy, I've got wine, I've got Wi-Fi, uh, and it's dark and no one's going to bother me. I think this is going to be a great service we offer to people. <laughs> and it could be like the ultimate escape room. Yes! Because like today, houses aren't, don't actually brick things in. It's just some cheap-ass like plaster wood here. Yeah, you, can, you can break through drywall okay. so easy. So we have this new business plan we got to work on, so we got to get going. So on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.